Okay, excellent. So lesson six, salvation, uh, session number two. And uh, next week we will start with uh, the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Why are we here, Andrea? The purpose of fundamentals of the faith is to know God more deeply, to have assurance of eternal life, and to become equipped for ministry. Yeah, and hopefully uh, through this we will have a better understanding of salvation and, and assurance of it because... If we depend on our own selves and what we do for salvation, we should have a question about uh, our assurance, right? Because if it's up to us, we will fail. So, Anybody know the memory verse? Yeah, I'm not sure. Go for it. I know it, but I'm scared and won't mess it up. You won't mess it up. For by grace we say through faith, not ourselves, but the gift of God, not a work for any man to boast. But we're his workmanship. With glory and workmanship created in Christ Jesus, I'm sorry, I can't do it in front of people, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might follow, walk in, walk in them. Yeah. So I think it's a good this morning way over here. Good job. Excellent. Excellent. I really didn't know, I promise. No, you did. Yeah, I know. So, uh, great, great question. So, I, I just have a question for you. Um... So we're creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What are good works? I guess it's part of sanctification. It's the work we do for Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What, uh, and what would those look like? What would it look like? When we talk about good works. The fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, happiness. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, in terms of our... Mm, works are that we we do on behalf of the church, right? So consider uh, how is it that we, uh, as new believers in Christ, can now serve the one another's in the church. These are the the good works that Christ God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them, right? And so when you talk about service in the church, what are you equipped with? Specifically, in order to do that, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit comes in you, and what does the Holy Spirit then give you? He gives you the ability to do the works that you did. The ability, and He also gives you specific, um, specific gifts. Gifts. Thank you. Like word just like whew, went out of my head. I'm thinking, what are they called? Yeah, specific gifts, gifts right? Okay. The gifts of the Spirit. So you're given at the time of salvation the gift of the Spirit to be utilized for the edification of the body, right, the church. And so that is the, um, that would be good works that we are, that were prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. How about, you know, also going out and evangelizing? Those are good works. Um, you know, you help, helping people that are, that are in need of help. You know, James, uh, who says it, that if you know to do good and do not do it to you that is sin, Right, so uh, if you see something that you should be doing, or you know you should be doing it, um, and it typically would be a good work, but you don't do it, then we would be in sin. And so, good works are the things that God prepared before. And what is what is James? What does he say about good works? What does he say about good works versus uh, in, in salvation? What does he he contrasts those? Right, he says this. He says that. Um, 
Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead, right? And is if you're not using your gifts, and if you are not then demonstrating those good works, then where is your faith? That's really what that is, right? And so he says, you show me your, he says, you show me your faith. I show you my faith by my works, right? And so it's the works that demonstrate that you indeed have been saved and that you are in fulfillment of this scripture doing the good works that God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. So, very good. Okay, any questions on that? By the way, what is the gift that we're talking about here? Which, it's the gift. Which is the gift? You've been grace. You've been given. Faith. Uh, by grace, you've been saved through faith, faith. right? The last, the last topic, through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. So God gives you the faith, right? Is salvation also a gift? Yeah. Of course it is. But not in, in this particular verse we're talking about the faith that is the gift, right? Because in... Um, in Romans 3, for the, no, for, yeah, Romans 6, 23, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, gift of God is eternal life. So that's, uh, eternal life is a gift, and that comes to us through faith, and that faith that we have is also a gift, right? What is the law in them? What's them? Them refers directly back to the good works. See, I would think that was the Holy Spirit for some reason. It didn't make sense. I mean, when I remember it, I'm like, walk in them, I'm thinking Trinity. And uh, I knew that didn't make perfect. sense, but that's, my head kept going back to that. And I just read it again. I'm like, it is the gift. Yes, that would be the good works. So there's the good works, comma, and then the next part of that is which God prepared beforehand, right? So that's directly related back to the good works. And then, so we would walk in them, walk in what? Walk in the good works that He prepared. And that's how you, when you come to a, a verse in the Bible, you break it down like that. You look at the, uh, you know, the subjects, you look at the, the verbs, you look at the actions, and you look at comparisons. It helps you to uh, really break down what that scripture's saying. And then the other thing which I like to do is I open up Bible Hub, and you can pull up 25 different translations, maybe more than that now. And you can read it 25 different ways. And you'll certainly get a, a, a sense of what the original, uh, original scripture means based on these translations. Because not every, you know, translations are not perfect, right? We don't have exact, uh, always exact English words that relate back to both the, either the Hebrew or the Greek, right? Or sometimes Aramaic, depending on what's the scripture, so. Uh, John Hyper also has a look at the book. Mm -hmm. We're we'll going to take a small section like that, not much bigger than that, yeah. and he will totally go through the whole thing just like you said. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's proper exegesis, yeah. right, is what that is. Yeah. And, and that's why it's really important that, you know, you're in a church that goes verse by verse through the Bible and properly exegetes it, right? So that's how you get a full understanding of Scripture, so... And so, you know, thank God we're in a church like that. And Chris does a great job of exegeting the scriptures that way. So, very good. So, any more questions on this particular verse? Good. All right. Any questions on the homework or the message? The living dead and the dead alive. That's a good dead, the dead alive, right? Yeah. Uh, and that, I guess that's kind of the highlight in there of that message, right? Yeah. You have the living dead. Who are the living dead? Those... That are saved. Yeah, and the dead alive. 
of those who were dead and then our believers, right? That's the description. Right. Uh, in Ephesians it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? You he made alive. So those are the dead. So last week we covered the state of man, God's sovereignty in salvation, man's responsibility in salvation, and God's plan of salvation. So any questions about what we covered last week? So today then we will cover, no, let's just ask questions. So how is a person saved? How is a person saved? A little broader, how were you saved? Somebody tell me how you're saved. How were you saved? What happened? I got up my heart to the sins of my life and changed my heart. Okay. And I committed to him and repented and flowed from those sins. Mm-hmm. So first thing is, God, open your heart to see your sin, mm-hmm. right? So you saw your sin, and then what happened? <coughs> I really recognized that I needed a Savior. Mm. Right. Interesting point there, right? Okay. You're sharing the gospel with somebody, and... Uh, you don't you don't talk about sin. They can easily think that they don't need a savior, right? Because if you're not a sinner, the person isn't a sinner. Do they need a savior? That would be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't need a sinner. I don't need a savior. I'm you know I don't sin, so why would I need a savior? So yeah, the first thing is conviction, right? Conviction of sin, and then an understanding of what that means, and then there's a repentance that goes with that, right? So. Okay, good. So that was the process, is that you... And so how did that take place? Did somebody share the gospel? Did you read? What was it? How did it come to you? You asking me specifically? Mm-hmm, yeah. I was raised in a home where I heard it every day. I was, I was presenting the gospel, you know, all the time, I understand. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is knowledge I already had. I yeah. understood what it was. So when I was a young, a young child, I, my process of being salvation, I think I was saved as a child, but I'm not sure I got. To, I would really truly understand it though. a teenager. So I'm scared. But anyway, when I was very young, I just remember my mom and I talking about it. I'm like, I, I don't want to sin against God. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to obey God. And that's when the process started. Mm-hmm. That, well, back then, we prayed the prayer. Yeah, yeah. You know, that I came from that. I prayed the prayer every time. I, I just felt like God was working in me. And I, I wanted to obey Him, but my flesh would get in the way as I was younger. And then I was like a teenager. I started dating a guy that I married. It was not a believer. And my mom presented the gospel, and he just broke down and started crying. I realized, I don't have that kind of conviction. You know, I, I, I know I'm sinning, but it's not breaking like it's breaking him. Mm. And it made me realize, you know, maybe I'm really not. You know, maybe because I was raised in it my whole life that I just assumed. So that's when God really broke me and said, you know, you're a racist sinner. You better, you better shape up. Mm. And God really convicted me from that point. I think really God started really doing a, a work in me, making me realize just how much, how prideful I was and how far away from Him I was. Mm. Yeah. Interesting process. Sometimes you're grown up in a Christian home and you hear all the gospel all this time, and it's, it's part of just background knowledge, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't really, it hasn't convicted. You have the head knowledge. We always say, a lot of times talk to people and say, we're going to miss heaven by about 18 inches, right? <laughs> they have all the head knowledge, but they haven't put it in the heart, right? And that's where it belongs, right? You have to recognize um, the wretched sinner that we are <clears throat> and that we need a Savior, right? So, but good process. I mean, uh, uh, good, good thoughts on the process there because it still comes down to hearing the gospel and understanding the gospel. And so 
Why is it then that so many people will hear the gospel over and over and over, but there's no conversion? Their hearts aren't open. Hearts aren't open, right? Who opens the heart? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does, right? So what is, is uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14? says, right, is that the natural man understands not the, the, spirit, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned, right? Nor can he know them. Cool. They're... they're unable to recognize the true uh, saving knowledge of the gospel because it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can do that. Those things are spiritually discerned. We don't have the Spirit of God in us. Then we don't discern. We don't understand them. And that's why you can talk to a person and say, how many times did somebody share the gospel with you? Oh, we had these people coming by and I think once a week somebody... Well, how come you believed it the last time, but not the first 400 times? Yeah. Right? It's because it was the last time that the Holy Spirit then convicted them of their sin, caused them to repent, and then regenerate the heart. So, we will look at that. God's plan of salvation, man's part in salvation. Wait, man has a part in salvation? We have to respond to that salvation. Right. Yeah. Marks of a true believer. It's almost like man's part. Follows number three there is the marks of a true believer. So, and then security of the believer. Can you lose your salvation? No. No. It's not yours to lose. Right? You didn't earn it. No. True. You can't lose it, right? So, let's talk about the conversion process. Okay. So, uh, we talk about the calling of God to salvation. All right. Andrea, could you read that for us? Second Peter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So then, the key here is his calling and choosing. Right? So what is that calling? You ever thought about that? The calling. How are we called? It was, for me, it was was the, I was being drawn. Ah, drawn. Yes, drawn. I like that. We're going to look at that next then. Have you been looking ahead here or what? You know all the answers? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> so, drawn by the Father. Okay. Kimberly, could you read that one? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Ooh, draws him. Boy, have you ever think about that? Think about in your life what that felt like, the drawing. What is happening? What's, what's going on in your mind when you're being drawn into the truth? What is it all of a sudden? You used to be dismissive and all of a sudden, it's like walking away from it and all of a sudden it's like a hook. You know, you're just kind of feeling something's turning you, something's pulling you and literally that's what that word means, draw as in, let me go back uh, and we'll get to the next slide because get there in a minute. Drawing in as in drawing like a net, like a fish is caught in a net and they start pulling it in, right? The fish are trying to go their different way, but they can't, and they're being literally pulled in, right? So when Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them, that's them being pulled in, right? And next one is, uh, then there's the conviction by the Holy Spirit. Right? Tracy, can you read that? And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So, as Andrew says, she understood she was a sinner, right? And so that's here. That's conviction taking place, right? So think about when you were pre-salvation, how did you think about your sin? Or what did you think about your sin? Did it bother you? Well, maybe there's, there's some guilt pains because everyone has a conscience. But what did those result in? What kind of change was there because you were guilty about something? You think about it for a few days and then, oh well, it's over. There's a, there's a difference between a worldly conviction, just being uh, convicted by your own conscience, which is there by God in the first place, which restrains evil in the world, but your conscience, then you can shut it off. And that's what happens, right? And that's how a person's heart becomes harder and harder and harder, because they don't listen to their own conscience. And they'll sin with impunity, and there's no consequences, they think, until the end. So then, it's the Holy Spirit then that changes the heart. And while a person says, yeah, I used to do that, and it didn't bother me, now it really, really bothers me. And that results in it turning from that sin, right? That is what repentance is. It's literally turning from sin. And if you're turning from sin, what are you turning to? You're turning to God, right? Literally, it's a military term. It's about face, right? It means about face. So if a person is walking into sin, and then they're called, and then they repent, they literally turn around and walk from that sin, and now they're walking towards God, right? That's, that's what sanctification is, right? Sanctification, that word sanctification is to, means separation. You're separated from something unto something. Separated from your sin unto holiness and righteousness, and that is the lifelong process, sanctification, but it's the conviction of sin, and the Holy Spirit works in believers continually, convicting of sin. But the first work is when we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's that conviction of sin that takes place the first time. And then that leads to repentance, turning from sin, right? Kimberly, could you read that? With generalist correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of, of the truth. So where does repentance come from? Who grants it? God. God grants repentance, right? And the next verse, I think we have there, in Acts, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Notice that. Repentance that leads to life. So there could be a false repentance, right? There could be people who make a statement, oh, I've repented of that sin. Oh, I don't do that sin anymore. But that's not the repentance that leads to life. That's a repentance. And we, I think we talk about that later, about being guilty of sin. Is it, is, it a, is it a repentance or a guilt that leads to repentance? Or is it a worldly guilt? Just sorry I got caught. Or sorry you know, somebody's called me out on it. Right? Big difference. Big difference. As a Christian... Do we need, should we, uh, I don't want to say do we need, but should we have to rely on someone else to no. tell us no. of our own sin? No, right? We know it. You we know, know it. Before when you're contemplating doing contemplating it. Contemplating doing it, right? Yeah. So then it's God who grants the repentance that leads to life. Right? 
This is all, I mean, you talk about people who come from the Arminianist persuasion, they'll have difficulty with all these verses because these clearly indicate that salvation is not a work of the person, but it's a work of God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the enabling of the Holy Spirit for that repentance and a new heart in the believer. Yes? Some of the Armenian thing. I had never heard the word Armenian until I started coming to church here. I, I, that's what I was about the word. Mm. But one thing that I did notice about the change that for me was, was and I was telling them about this Friday, sovereignty was a word that, that I struggled with because I questioned my salvation most of my life. Mm. So I would get into a simple situation like, how can I be a savior? How can I be saved if I can do these things? How can mm -hmm. I have these thoughts? And you get back to the sovereignty of God. God saves you. You're saved. It's not what you've done. But that, that, to me, that was the biggest thing on many verses. The, 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 the true thing yeah. was, was that, was the understanding of sovereignty that once God saves you, you're in his grasp and he's not going to let you go. That's right. And it's nothing I've done. It's just him changing my heart. But that was a big, I still struggle with that. If I find myself that, I, that I, you know, I'm thinking that I shouldn't think or I get depressed, I'm like, God, how can I be, how can you say this? And it goes back to, okay, but you're sovereign. Yeah. So that to me is the, is the most precious part about the true salvation is if he calls you, you're his. Yeah. You don't have to always worry about that. But that was a big struggle for me. Yeah. Is, it is, it is for a lot of people, by the way, yeah. right? Yeah. Because if you think about it, um, when you were saved, did you feel the Holy Spirit in there generating a new heart for you? No. You know, I, I feel the Spirit on me, right? <laughs> no, you hear that in charismatic churches, right? The, the falling down in the Spirit and being drunk <laughs> and this, all those kinds of things. But in reality, um, and I, I would tell you, I was an Arminianist from the beginning. Why? Because I didn't know scripture, right? But I did know what happened to me. I read and I believed. Notice the I in there, right? I read, I believed. But I didn't understand that that belief was the result of the Holy Spirit working in the heart because I had read it before. It didn't work. I had heard the gospel by somebody before. I didn't pay attention. But I read it this time and it's like, oh, I'm convicted of my sin. I believe this. Well, what's different? Why? Well, it's because of the Holy Spirit. But you don't know that. You feel like, well, this really made sense to me. Which then is very frustrating to go tell somebody the gospel and they don't get it. How come you don't understand it? It's so simple. And, and you know, I mean, then you need to ask yourself, well, how come you didn't understand it the first ten times either? Because it, it isn't up to us, right? It's up to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in God's timing is the one who convicts. And so he grants repentance in his perfect timing. So, but in a, in a practical sense, we are all experiential. You say, well, how did you get saved? Well, I, I believed, right? I believed. Now, we are told to believe, aren't we? We are told to believe. That's part of it. But the initial belief has to come from the Holy Spirit working on the heart. Now, once you're a believer, then what is your duty? Your duty is to believe God's word. And so that's part of man's responsibility. And so we'll get to that in a minute.
But that's though the Holy Spirit continually working in us too. The Holy Spirit is, and of course, this is all next week. I shouldn't talk about this, right? <laughs> but it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand scriptures. The Holy Spirit that illuminates the scripture to us. All right, so we'll get back to that. All right, and then what accompanies or produces repentance? Chris is going to talk about this today. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What does that mean? Produces a repentance without regret. What, is the, what does that mean? And the other one is contrasting, produces death. Do you know the Greek word on that? Which? Regret. No. I don't have it. But uh, there's a difference. What it means is this. This repentance without regret, say, I don't regret the repentance they pay because this repentance leads to salvation. You're not regretting being saved, are you? No, but this repentance here, this is just sorrow over sin that leads to death, right? That's an unsaved person. So one is a repentance that leads to salvation, of course there's no regret there. That's what saved us. On the flip side of that, though, the sorrow of the world produces death. There's no, there is no repentance in their sorrow. It's just a, it's a, a sorrow over being caught, yeah. right? I got caught. I'm sorrow now. I, boy, I, you all got me doing that, and I don't, you know. So, yeah. There you go. Excellent. Did you hear that? No. Difference between... Peter's sorrow and Judas's sorrow. Big difference, right? Peter, sorrowful over his rejection of Messiah, and that leads him later to a repentance that causes him to be a great preacher after that, a fearless preacher, literally. But on the flip side, what happens to Judas? Was he sorrow? Sorrowful? He was, he was sorrow, he, he was sorry later that he had turned over Jesus. He said, I've spilled innocent blood. And he takes the money back to the Pharisees, and what do they do? They th what is that to us? And they throw the money, you know, he throws the money, and then they pick it up and they buy it. I mean, they buy the, the lot of land they caught, it's a potter's field, and then they use it to bury, bury poppers, literally. But then what, is, what does Judas do? Well, he goes out and hangs himself and dies, right? So his, his sorrow didn't lead to repentance. He didn't go back and fall at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. He was sorry for what he did because he recognized the impact of what he did and the gravity of what he did, but it wasn't a sorrow that led to a repentance. His led to death. That's excellent, excellent. Can we contrast um, David and Saul also? And Saul didn't... He wasn't repentant, but yeah. David was. You could. What he did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Saul was really just in it for himself all the time, right? In fact, we, SI on Thursday night, they talked about the uh, doing the uh, motions, hand motions going through the Old Testament. You get to Saul, who is no heart for God, David, a heart for God, and then his son Solomon, half hearted. But literally, it's, it's Saul's no heart for God. He's in it, just in it for himself, right? And he, he doesn't, listen to, uh, doesn't listen to the prophets. He's at odds with everyone, doesn't do anything he's supposed to do. And um, in the end, that's why the kingdom is taken from him. 
because he is not a believer. He's not listening to God. So, but big difference is exact contrast is that in the end, Saul never did uh, repent and come back to God, but then, but David did. David sinned and he repented of that, right? Good example. Well, I have to wonder if once the Israelites saw what kind of king that Saul was, <clears throat> maybe the Lord was looking for the Israelites to turn around and say, you know what, this didn't work out so well. This king stuff, we're, we're going to make you our king again, Father. Mm. I, I, it's just, I have a curious mind. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a, a good thought. And it was God who actually initiated the thought of king into Israel. Because he mentioned that there will be a king, right? But who is he referring to? Mm. Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. But the Israelites, they were a theocracy, and God directed everything through the prophets. But all the nations around them uh, had kings. And so they wanted to be like all the nations around them. They give us a king. And so they, they picked Saul. Why did they pick Saul? Good. He was tall. <laughs> he was tall. He was handsome. You know, tall, dark, and handsome. He was a, it literally, it says he was a head and shoulder above everyone else. So he's, you know, back then, who knows, six five, six six two, whatever. Everybody else five nine, five eight, something like that. So he's clearly taller than everybody else. They, that that was the qualification for being king. They just picked him because he was tall. Played well on TV. Played well on TV. See, you're thinking future. I said that. I said it's a Charleston Heston. Charleston Heston. It made good for Hollywood. All right. So, conversion then. There's the gift of saving faith. So, Simon, Peter, bond service, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God our, and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice that, I just want to point this out, this not germane to our discussion here in terms of salvation, but received a faith, that's the gift, right? But here's the bottom, is it? Uh, righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is a, a clear distinction between uh, the, the deity of Jesus Christ, right? Righteousness of our God and Savior. It's a combination, both referring to Jesus Christ. So Jesus is God and Savior. So if you ever, if you ever want to point someone directly to a quote in the New Testament that says he's God, right? There is one. There's others too. But. So then there's uh, saving faith. Philippians, for has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So this is another, another, um, another scripture speaking of the gift that is that comes not through us, but to us, right? It's been granted to us. All right, so then, through faith comes justification for God. Jim, could you read that? Yeah, Romans 4, 24 through 5, 1. <clears throat> but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So before our faith and our peace with God, what was our relationship to God? Hostility. Hostility, right? When's the verse? Verse eight, uh, Romans eight seven says what? Enmity with God. We were at enmity with God, right? And enmity is like battling, 
war, hatred, right? That was our relationship with God. We were, we were children deserving of his wrath, right? And then after we have faith, how is this now describing our relationship? We have peace with God. Did you think about that before? Before you're saved, you are at enmity with God. You are a hater of God. Now you're saved, you are at peace with God. And after that, of course, where's our sin? What happens to our sin? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated us from our sin. Does that mean that we never sin? No, doesn't mean that we never sin. But does that include all of our sins? Yeah. Past, present, future. So this is an interesting thought is that people sometimes um, don't understand the depth of sin and the breadth of sin. You get the depth, right? And the breadth. When we talk about the breadth, you know, we'll look at a specific sin and say, yeah, I'm struggling with this sin. Okay, that's good because that's work in the conscience is being worked on by the Holy Spirit. But let's not forget is that we sin all the time, continuously. There's not a moment in our life we're not sinning. Why? Well, do we love the Lord our God with all our, all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength? All the time. No, we don't. We don't. Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? All the time. No, we don't. So therefore, we're constantly in sin, right? Those are those are commands. So um, let's not lose sight of the fact that oh, I'm doing good today because I didn't do this sin, right? But we have all these others that we are always guilty of. So which is why we always need to be asking for forgiveness, right? Because First John one nine says it: if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you, if you confess your sin and you're, clean, and you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, then what does that make you? Righteous. Righteous. Right? Justified. Righteous. Right? And then, then you pray because the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So we confess first and then we pray. Availeth? Where is that? Hmm? <laughs> King James. Oh. Oh, yeah. Give me a hard time. Yeah, well, that's mine. I use a King James, so, you know. Hasn't changed in so long. <laughs> I don't have to worry about them changing it, so I have to re-memorize, re right? Because the NASB came out now, and they've changed again, so. The new, new King James. The new, new? There's a new? Is there a new, new? I don't know. I got the new. I think it's based on like a 1920s publication, 1928 publication. So it's, yeah. But that was a change. Anyway, the new King James got rid of the, these thousand of those, right? Some others, maybe. So then, uh, we become a new creation in Christ, right? And um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So what does that signify? If a person is in Christ, they no longer think the way they used to. Their mind is beginning to be changed, right? In fact, what does Romans 2, 12, 2 say? It says to renew your mind, 
right? And how you renew your mind? God's Word. Yeah, through the reading of Scripture. The Scripture then, God's Word, indwells you, right? Colossians 3, 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is a parallel passage to Ephesians 5, 17, 18. It says to not be filled, I mean, not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, re the results of both of those verses are the same, speaking to one another psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. So therefore, if you are continually allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly, therefore, you are continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, which, again, we'll get to that next week. So then, we talk about new things have come. What are we referring to? The new things have come. The old passed away, the new things have come. What is the old, what is the stuff that passes away from a, a, a person who becomes a believer? The sin, the, the desire of the world, right? The love of the world, those kinds of things. And then the new things that come is the, the, mindset. the new mindset on, on Christ, on the hope of uh, heaven. Yeah. Do you believe that verse? Have you experienced that verse? Yeah. You should. This is proof, right? This is proof of the Bible right here. How were you before? How are you now? Big difference. Okay. So, and then the regeneration of the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit. So he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. And how is it done? By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is it. This is the salvation. This is how we get saved. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. And so how, what's the first part of all this? We talk about it, but the first part is hearing the gospel, right? Paul says that, Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the power of God and salvation for all who believe, right? For the Jew first and then the Gentile. But the first thing a person has to do is hear the gospel. They have to hear God's word. Can a person just wake up one day and say, I, have a, I had a dream and now I'm saved? Mm -hmm. Cornelius false right it's a false salvation right mm -hmm. yeah. so the truth of the gospel the person hears it they think about it the Holy Spirit then begins working on them God is calling them they're being drawn in maybe they hear the gospel and they walk away and say wow that was interesting some time goes by they're still ruminating on that right and then they feel drawn to know more. I want to hear the truth. I want to know this. The Holy Spirit then convicts, right, of, of their sin. Then God grants repentance unto salvation. The Holy Spirit then regenerates the heart. They could have a dream. However, like the story of Cornelius, he had a vision, right? God appeared to him. And then who did he send? He sent Peter. So he's always going to send a representative to represent the gospel yeah. and to give him, and then that's called uh, discipleship. So what happened though? He had to hear the gospel. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So but a person could hear something. Someone can have a God yeah. give him a dream, but he's always going to legitimize it by sending a missionary, uh, uh, one of us, or a, uh, somebody to share the gospel. Yeah, an apostle sent out for him. Yeah. yeah. But wasn't that a special time in that that 
there were groups of people that were informed, and, and Peter had to come, and um, I mean, like there was the Gentiles. That I mean, that was wasn't that just a special one special vision, in other words, one special dream for the, for the yeah for for the grouping. Um, I, I'm not saying it right because because it was a big deal for the Gentiles to be brought in, and 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 it was a special time, mm -hmm. and that God only used it for that time where He wouldn't do it now, but it was for right in that area of time. Well, specifically, time? yeah. But the question really comes down to, is, is it possible as part of the calling that a person would think about something and have a, have a dream about it? And be immaculately saved. Immaculate salvation, right. No, they're not going to be saved. Not going to be no. saved, no. They can certainly think about something. They can dream about something. They can be part of a calling process. But they still, the salvation, the power of salvation comes through God's word. So how they get there, I don't know. So it says how blessed are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Right. Romans 10. Right, you can't base your salvation on a dream or uh, a vision or anything like that. It's based on God's word. And that's what happened to the person I know. Yes. Even though that person, following that dream heard the gospel over and over but that she based her salvation on that dream on the dream mm -hmm. and so pretty much just uh, she heard the gospel but she did not hear the gospel her heart was not truly open to the gospel right. her heart was not changed and right. that was revealed after 20 some years Yeah. and yeah. when she was squeezed significantly she walked away yeah, right? So the stress came and it proved her one. So we'll get to that verse in a minute. But uh, this, is a, this is a great you know, example here, though, is that um, sometimes you'll see someone and they will, by all outward appearance, look like a believer. Their actions, you wouldn't know that they're not a believer, right? You can't see in their mind, so you would never be able to discern thoughts or anything like that. But... They could be, oh, by the way, what is a wheat and what is a tear? You know, it's like the farmers, they don't pull out tares when they've planted their fields because you can't tell the difference and you might be pulling out wheat. So they have to wait. Wait until when? Or wait until the fruit comes, right? The fruit is, is the grain, right? And so by their fruits, you'll know that, oh, this is a tear. Now I can pull it out. And they get thrown in the fire and Jesus makes a reference to that. That's why it's always so surprising when it happens. You go, whoa. whoa, because it oh, seems so yeah, legit, right? So and as an there was a there was a guy who had been for thirty years the head of the Ibex program in Israel, teaching uh, you know, many, many men um, to become pastors. And then after about thirty years he just walked away and said, I don't believe this stuff. How do you do that? Well, you do it if you have not been regenerated, right? So we'll get to that in just a minute and why, right? So man's part, what is our part? Well, we exercise our God-given faith, right? We have to be, what is that word in James? It says to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, right? So we have to exercise it. Secondly, uh, from man's point of view, we have a brokenness over sin, Right? Luke. So this is Luke 18, 13. 
But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Right? That's a gift. I mean, we can't, you know what I mean? That's from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We can't muster up, oh, I feel bad. You know? Well, no, you are convicted by the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, I mean. But what, a, what does the man do who is convicted by the Holy Spirit? Does he make positive changes, or does he just sit there and stew? You, you press into. You press into it. sanctification and prioritize, and you're pressing into it after. It's a gift in the beginning, but right. you push and beat your body. And, and so you go back to what we said before. You exercise that God-given faith, right? What are we told to do uh, in, in that example? So you got the sinner, the tax collector, who is who is lamenting over his sin. Of course, repentance is granted by God and God alone. But what is our response to that? Well, as a response, what should we be doing? What are we told to do? We're told to confess our sin. Do you confess a sin if you're not lamenting over it? No. This is part of exercising your faith. Why do you confess if you don't believe God forgives sin? Right? That's part of faith. You confess because you trust God at his word and he says that he will forgive sin and so and cleanse you from all unrighteousness so then you exercise that faith by believing his word this is another thing can you believe can you read God's word and say well I believe this part but not this part Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson did <laughs> and Jefferson was a deist right he was not a believer he believed in God but he wasn't he wasn't pick and choose what you want. Yeah. Right? You can't pick and choose. <laughs> yeah, it's all in God's word. Yeah. What, is, what is that verse? It says, work out your salvation. Look at your own sin. Yeah. Which, which verse? With fear and trembling. Yes. Yeah. Work it out. Work it out. Or it is God who is at work in you. Yeah. Like will to act. Yeah. It seems so. like a paradox, but it's not. Right. And so there is a responsibility. How about this? Is that, you know, I read this, this verse. I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. What should you do? Just walk away from it and say, well, I'll come back in 20 or 30 years and see if I know it. No, well, Paul says to Timothy, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. That's right. You You're dig. supposed to think about it, but the Lord's going to give you right. understanding. You dig, you, you yeah. do the research, the Holy Spirit will illuminate it to you. Right? That's our responsibility. Why do we do that? Why would we look into God's word? Well, Bereans. if we believe it, yeah, Bereans did that. With eagerness, right? Because yeah. you want to believe, you want to know God's word. That's what the believers do. Everybody else in the world, do they? Like, do they really care what God's word says? No, they don't care. Right? Care because less. They haven't been. <laughs> they care less. They haven't been convicted, right? But as a believer, our job then is to exercise our God-given faith. Our God-given faith. Do you or do you not believe His word? That's faith, right there. Right? He's given you the faith to believe His word, and if you believe His word. Don't you want to know what it says? Yeah. So you exercise your faith. There's a brokenness that comes over our own sin. Why? Because we know God is holy, holy, holy. Mm -hmm. And we are not. And so he wants us to be followers of Jesus Christ. He wants us to repent from our sin. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to bring glory to him. He wants to use us in this world. But if we are not exercising our faith, is he going to be able to use us? And that, 
It's not to say that unbelievers can't, by their conscience or in other ways, turn from sin. Um, God restrains Correct. evil. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I mean, look at like Abimelech. Abimelech says, oh, God, I didn't do this out of the goodness of my heart. You know, I didn't, I didn't touch Sarah. And God says, yeah, you didn't do that, but I did it. I kept right? you. He says, I was the one that did it, not yeah. you. Um, so the difference, I think, is that our brokenness is over sin is because of God's sacrifice, because yes. of Christ. Another person can have a conscience that says, you shouldn't do that, and, and be broken to an extent, but not because of God. They're right. broken just because their conscience says something, don't murder, yeah. so don't steal that. Right. You know? um, I can remember as a kid, I did something wrong. And I went and confessed to my mom. I wasn't a believer, but I was hurt that I had broken that relationship. It wasn't a relationship with God. No. So an unbeliever can't feel those things. Yeah. Because we're all made in the image of God, so they can certainly feel those things. Yeah. They're just not broken in light of what Christ mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. Yes, Kimberly. Oh, sorry. I, I remember feeling the guilt from sin, but I also remember very distinctly uh, not having any power over it. So you you would think you were repenting and blah, 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 but there was no power. Habitual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You would want to change, but there, it just felt like there was nothing there. There was no power in it. So mm. It was different now from then. So. Right? So in one hand, you are a slave of sin, mm-hmm. right? And the other hand, a believer is now a slave of Christ. Mm-hmm. Big difference, right? And he's given us power over that sin. Right? But to Jim's point, excellent point, there is a restrainer in the world, mm-hmm. right? The restrainer restrains evil. And if you remember going way back in a, first, a couple of lessons, we talk about man, man, not all men, are as evil as they could be, mm-hmm. right? Not all men do uh, everything as as evil as they possibly could. Right? Why? God's common grace. Common grace. There's a restraint in the world. And a common grace is, uh, in a society, you have lots of common graces there. You have, you have uh, police, right? Yep. You have civil government. You have things that are in place to restrain evil. Those are all from God. But you do have a conscience that's working in you. And where does that conscience come from? It's always from God, right? Does an animal have a conscience? <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Bite the hand that feeds you. They bite the hand that feeds you. See that? They will bite the hand that feeds you. That's the end of that animal. Was that the My dog. Oh, that's uh-huh. My fault, but anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, what else do we do? Uh, well... You confess, right? You confess Jesus as Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. Or, because you are saved, you will confess this. Of course, that's part of telling... Let me go back, sorry. That's part of telling someone um, about the gospel. So then, um, evidence of salvation. What is it? Here it is. It's a faith that works, right? We and we just talked about that a minute ago. I think uh, I think uh, Andrea quoted this right. Um, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, 
And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Right? That's the difference, right? So we talk about the good works. It's the good things. It's the things done in the service to the Lord. Those are good works. Right? We are given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Those gifts are to be utilized in the edification of the saints, the building up of the body. Right? Notice this here. Oh, when someone says, let's see, my brethren, who does that refer to? The body of Christ. Yes, the body of Christ. So think about that. Some people say, oh, I go out and serve the homeless because I'm supposed to be doing good works. They're not fellow brothers. Does that they line up with this? You're going to go serve the homeless. I mean, okay, what is, the, what is wrong? I, this, I go back to John MacArthur, and I'm so glad he did a message five years ago or four years ago on this. It was called the social gospel. What is the social gospel, right? Mm -hmm. And he said this. He says, if you are not sharing the gospel with the people you are out there serving, what you are doing is making them more comfortable on their way to hell. Yeah. yeah. Right? Which is You're making them more comfortable on the way to hell. And in fact, it could be detrimental to their salvation. Because they think, well, I don't need the gospel because people come and feed me every day. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you're going to go feed you know, the homeless, or you're going to help people out there, the first thing you need to be fed is the Word of God. Yeah. Right? So. In Christ's name. Yeah. Just the thoughts. Anyway, okay, faith that works, labor that loves. Tracy, could you read that? What? I don't know how to say it. I can only sing it from so many years. <laughs> Awana, right? Sing it. Let us love one another. For love of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He did love us not. Love of God, for God is love. Love of God. Yes. Love one another. First John 4, 7, 8. See, that is what, this is what Awana does to you. I love it. We know so many Awanas. Awana song, because the kids memorized, and the way to memorize was to put it to music. And so you get the CD with the music, and the kids would listen to that, and then they would come in on Wednesday night, and you say, you ready for your verses? Yeah. And then they would sit there and sing them to you. And I'm like, so cute. <laughs> What a great way. What a great way to memorize. So, John here, who is he talking to? Beloved. Who is the beloved? That's the fellow believers, right? Let us love one another. And how does that differ from the non-believers? Well, they don't have the same love. They don't have the ability to love one another in the same way that <clears throat> believers can because the Holy Spirit is not indwelling them. Right? Okay. Uh, let's see. We better move on, but... Um, Remember, uh, just a question, remember when someone asked uh, Jesus, um, told him that his mother and his brothers were outside waiting for him. What was his response? Who are my mother and brothers? Right? So who did he refer to? What was he actually saying to people at that point? Well, he's making a physical and spiritual distinction. Yeah. Let me go to Matthew 12, 50. 12, 50. Those who do the will of God, those who obey it. Right? So he says, who, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretches his hands out towards the disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For, whatever does, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Because he makes a distinction. 
is that even even in the in the church, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have members of the church, right? And then you're gonna have brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Those are your family. That family you'll be with eternity. Those of you who, you know, you have your blood relatives, right? Those are your, your blood relatives that are not saved. But when Jesus says, my true family is here, and that's the focus of life, right? You remember, you know, you have your, you have your in-laws, you know, and then you have the outlaws, right? It's like, sometimes they, they're all outlaws. But anyway, it's always different. But in the, in the church, you know, you have, um, is, the, is the true family. Right? And you'll spend eternity with them. So get to know them now. So then, and we have a hope that endures, right? So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's our hope, right? When people say, what do you hope in? Well, we have the hope of eternal life. People that are not saved, they don't know what they hope. They hope. They have a hope, right? They hope I get to heaven. I hope I go to heaven. You ask a, you ask a Muslim if they share the gospel or you ask them about their, their faith. You say, well, how do you get to heaven? Well, you know, you, you do the best you can and you, you hope you get in. It's empty hope. It's yeah. It's hope. Not, on, not based on anything, is it? It's just like people weren't saved. They hope they get to heaven. Right? And, uh, but there's a verse that we'll get to in a minute about that. Um, but that also leads then to obedience, right? John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has, present tense, if you're a believer, you already have eternal life. You're just in a different state right now, right? You have eternal life. And here's the key. Whoever does not obey, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So then, belief results in obedience. No obedience, evidence of no belief. Right? Uh, and then 1 Peter 2, 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is another verse essentially saying the same thing. Believers obey. That is part of the Holy Spirit working in us. If there is really no Holy Spirit in us, then there's no ability for belief. And if a person doesn't believe, then they also don't obey. So a person who walks around saying, I believe, I believe, but yet they're out in continuous sin, what do we say about that? False conversion. False conversion. They're deluding themselves, right? Well, they know the word, it's in their head, but if there's no obedience that accompanies that, no good works that accompany that, you know that's a false conversion. Is it okay to, to um, like, like my son is born again, and without going into all these details, we know somebody who exactly that claims to be a Christian, mm -hmm. and yet when you observe her behavior, doesn't reflect the Holy Spirit at all. So is that all right to, not her, not to say this to her face, but to, to be able to talk to one another about that? Oh, absolutely. And call it, okay. We should warn her too. Like, like, hey, you have to be careful. Because if you take a snapshot of anybody's life, at any point in their life, Correct. you're going to find a time, including our lives, when somebody would look at you and go, they're not a believer. And it could have lasted a long time. It could have lasted a year, it could have lasted two. There are times, that, you know, and I think Chris mentioned this a few weeks ago, um, maybe last week. You know, Scripture tells us that God will take your life if He has to, mm -hmm. to make sure that you get to heaven. But if you're continuing in sin, He can't take your life. Mm -hmm. 
so that you don't continue in sin. So we have to be careful to say, we can say you don't appear to be a believer. I think that's, and that's when the church exercises discipline at some point, when they put them out of the church finally. But you're not appearing to be a believer. We're not saying you're not a believer. Right. Then you're not appearing to be a believer. Right? Yeah, That's a big distinction. So to to get to your specific question, we can look at like Galatians six. All right, six one says this: Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So if you see a person, they say, "Oh, I'm a believer." Do you just walk up? Ah, you're in sin. That's horrible. Or or is it? Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about the Lord. You know, and you can, you can say, so, you know, talk to me. Tell me, how are you saved? First of all, you want to get a testimony. Is their testimony true? Does it, does it follow what we've talked about? That they were broken over their sin? They repented of their sin and they're following God. Right? And they say, I'm a believer. And then, and then it's a gentle uh, conversation. Say, well, I've considered or I've seen a few things in your life that, you know, Maybe we should talk about it. And you gently bring it up. And it's like, do you think that that's pleasing to God, this behavior? I mean, that gentle rebuke should result in a repentance. And right, that's iron log. sharpening iron. Iron sharpening right. iron. That's it's not like you log in your own eye. Correct. Well, yeah. love covers a multitude of sins. There are sins you go, what? Right. Yeah, you know, you know, not everything. Estimate right. Not everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if there's, if there's some something serious and... Um, then we are we are you know to to approach that and to talk about that because why why do we do that why would we do that let's say we have a belief iron sharpening iron. iron sharpening iron but there's a there is also a need to maintain the purity of the body and so we can't we don't want to say hey I'm a Christian and then go out and and you know raise a ruckus all the time except when I'm in church what does that do to God's name. They say, well, that guy's a Christian. Yeah, sure he is. So, I mean, there's a reason why we do that. But we do it with gentleness. This one says, you, um, uh, um, you who are, here it is, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You know, we don't bring a club. <coughs> but yes. And then, what's the other verse uh, that talks about? Is that the end of uh, first, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, right? Um, let me see. Go eat popcorn. There it is, Colossians. <laughs> Where's the popcorn? Colossians uh, 28. Here it is. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may pr present every man perfect in Christ. So then, we, we preach him warning everyone. So if we see a person that is a believer in sin, we also want to warn them. And the reason we warn them is because of what Jim, Jim said is that if a person is in Christ but yet sinning to the point where they're a detriment to the body, God will take them out, take them away. Right? What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Sapphira? Right? I named the cat Sapphira because I thought that's always something a cat would do. <coughs> yeah, yeah. But it's accountability. It's accountability with the body of Christ. God doesn't have to be... You have to be accountable, right? And you have to hold your brothers yeah. and sisters accountable, accountable as well. Yeah. Uh, although it be without the bat, yeah. but sometimes you do need to go to the penalty box for a moment mm -hmm. and yeah. and takes, but with gentleness. Yes. Because it's not accountability. Right. I mean, in the end days, 
fathers and mothers are going to split up the family. Brothers and sisters, family's going to turn against each other. The church will turn against each other. And if you let all of these feel-gooders come in that are just kind of the wolf in sheep's clothing, that will break up, you know, Terror. that wow. will add, yeah. Yeah. And it's done, you do it because you love Yes, not... That's the second thing. The good point. It's done out of love, you know, not out of... You don't want to bury them. You want to... You want to bring them up. You want to lift them up. To realize so, Yeah, so very good question. And that's a real-life situation that we probably as believers all go through. So. That's why discipleship and that you're in correctly um, getting from the Scripture. And then there's maturity. There's growth. Mm -hmm. And people can be... Different at different points and learning. Yeah. And see, that's what what we haven't seen. We haven't seen a change. We haven't seen any growth. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know. Mm -hmm. to, without going into the whole details, it, it her right. her behavior affects my granddaughters. Mm -hmm. So it's the mother of my granddaughters. Mm -hmm. And then my son's the father, and so, I mean it's. It's a real, we have to walk on eggshells around her because we never know what she's going to do. Mm. And yet, she claims that she doesn't announce it all the time or anything. Right. She just, had said, she's a Christian. So, great, great question. So, here's a, here's a, there's a, uh, Shaw, in his book, um, Heart of Addiction, has a quote, he says this, is that all our lives before we come to Christ, we practice sin like a person practices a piano, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you become saved, you carry all these sins with you to the Holy Spirit and Jesus, right? You have those sins, and guess what? You practice a piano every day, what does that make it? It makes it a habit. And so sin is habitual, right? And so a new believer isn't going to just drop every bad habit they've ever had, right? But through the discipleship process, right, by being filled with God's word by reading what the word says. How should we obey? Well, how about how about Colossians 3.12? How about uh, Galatians 5.22, putting on the spirit? I mean, uh, Ephesians 2, 2, 3, and 4. The whole New Testament talks about, you know, in the epistles, about how we believe or how we obey, how we treat one another. And so a person who's been saved but not been not been discipled, not been trained, not been brought up or, or taught God's word properly are still going to be living in their old, you know, their old lifestyle. They are ignorant of God's word. And so that's what that's what discipleship does. It brings a person to the understanding of what God's word says and what the expectation is for a believer, how they should walk. You know, in uh, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 1, it says... Uh, be imitators of God. That's how we should behave. Be imitators of God. Now, if we knew what that was, then Paul wouldn't have to write all those other verses, would he? Right? But he gives us what that means, right? Husbands to love their wives, wives. And... So those are, those are there for our benefit so that we then behave the way a person who is saved and a believer in Christ would behave. So it might be a good idea for me, because I'm new, so I'm very leery about, mm -hmm. you know, this so far. Crossway Church mm -hmm. over in West Knoxville is the high school that my granddaughters go to 
and she has to take them to school every day, Ooh. so she would know where it is. So what I could do is a feeble attempt, but an attempt is to let her know that there's a church in there. She oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Encourage her to go. Right. Encourage her to go. Okay. Go over the FOF book with her. Hey, I'm excited about what I'm learning. Maybe we can go over this. Just options, you know. Thank you. Okay, let's move on. So, uh, what's the security of the believer? There it is. It's the unbroken chain of salvation. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these also he called. Uh, whom he called, these also he justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is an unbroken chain. Notice it also. He also, he also, he also, he also. All the process is by God. All past tense. All past tense already done, right? Yeah, good point. Okay, then. So if you're a Christian, your glorification will happen. When you die, you will get a glorified body, right? Protected by the power of God. There it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who's prote You're protected by whom? The power of God, right? If you're saved, no one can snatch you out of his hand. Right? There it is. And then he'll finish what he began. You know this, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that the examples and the contrast here. Is there anything besides death or life? Nothing is, uh, uh, or angels or principalities, how about things present or things to come, or powers, nor, how about this, height or depth, anything, height, depth, what's in between, there's nothing, it's a, these are the contrasts that show you that um, no matter what is out there is that God's power will protect you. But you can take yourself out, I've heard that. You can take yourself out? Yeah, that doesn't mention anything about yourself. You can you can take yourself out of that. It's charismatic. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a person who believes in that you can lose your salvation. Right? Yeah. You can walk away. Yeah. yeah. So, and this thing, important verse, John 5, 1 John 5, 3. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is an assurance verse. You believe and you know you have eternal life. All right, so then, if you can't lose your salvation, it's not yours to lose. Right? God predestined you to be saved. He's drawn you to himself. He's convicted of you of your sin, granted you repentance, gave you the faith to believe, justified you, sealed you. That's next week. Made you a new creation, and he promises to glorify you. So don't let anyone ever tell you you can lose your salvation. What about those who leave the faith? They were never saved. They went out from us because they were not of us. There it is. They went out from us because they were not really of us. If they had been with us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they were not of us. Those are the people who for 30 years 
teach God's word and then say, I don't believe this, and walk away. They went out from us because they were not really of us. Those who persevere will be saved to the end. Yeah. So then, salvation. Do you have assurance of your salvation? Do you question whether you're saved or not? If you do have questions about it, we can talk about it, all right? Any questions? Any questions about this? Next week then. I didn't, ask you, I didn't give you a lot of time for questions. But anyway. <laughs> Listen to the message on the Holy Spirit. And do the homework. You can turn it in. And then also, um, you can turn in the homework for six if you have it. And take the quiz. So I'll hand out this quiz right now.